0: Out here in the perimeter there are no stars Out here we is stoned, immaculate
1: Hello and welcome, this is David Eastall, the C86 show This is going to be another special as I go slightly off-road from my usual indie pop selection and interviews This is going to be with the author Nicholas Pegg who did a book titled The Complete David Bowie Bracket, brackets revised and updated 2016 edition this book came out um, on Titan Books a couple of years ago and I spoke to um, yes Mr. Peg about it so I've got that interview that I'm going to play you because it's a fascinating interview but before that we're going to have a track by Mr. Bowie this is the B-side to Space Oddity and this is Velvet Goldmine
2: You got legs you got amazing head you got
0: You must stay Velvet gold mine. Make Naked on your chain I'll be your king Volcano right for you again And again my velvet gold night You're a taste of trap I'll, I'll be your master's yeah. I'll sub your health Okay, you make me jump my beats on you oh, Give me oh. your hand Give me your sound Let, Let me see what, what your face I'm rolling
2: so on, the can't yeah. stand
0: Jamaica. jamaica velvet gold mine you spoke me like the rain snake it take it and the princess you must stay velvet gold mine make it on your chain i'll be your king volcano your shame I'll be your Kimbo king volcano right for you a game as a game by Melvin
1: Yes, very jolly stuff indeed. That is David Bowie, with a track titled Velvet Goldmine. And that was on the B-side of Space Oddity that came out in 1975. Hello, this is David Eastall, the C86 show, and this week it is going to be a, a special from the usual indie pop. This is going to be with the author Nicholas Pegg, whose book, The Complete, David Bowie, was revised and updated for the 2016 edition 16 edition um this is the interview and this is the i was going to say the first part it's going to be just complete i'm not going to break it up you're just going to have to listen to the whole thing from start to finish if you really want to i would it is an interesting interview because we're talking about your latest update to the um, David Bowie book, haven't we? The complete David Bowie.
3: Yes, that's right. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, lovely to be on.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, well, I remember getting a copy many years ago, and I would imagine it has changed quite a bit since then, actually. I can't it, remember, but my edition probably came out in... Oh, 2000, so there you go.
3: Oh, well, there we go. That's the very first edition. Yes, it's been through a few changes since then. Um, yeah, we're on the seventh edition so, now.
1: God, I do need to get one for Christmas, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: well, I, I'd be the last person to dissuade you from doing that. Though. Yes. Um,
1: <laughs> so could you just tell us how the book came together? You know, the, you know your original idea at the turn of the millennium. Because
3: yes. Well, I was always a great big fan of David Bowie, and I had read quite a few books about him. There were already quite a few biographies around um, at that stage, and some of them were very good indeed, and some of them maybe not quite so good. Yes. But what there wasn't... Was any sort of a book that actually looked at his work you know a, a sort of analytical study of his songs and indeed his videos and films and all the other projects that he did, uh, his painting and so on um, The books that i'd read were all biographies which talked about his life, and of course it's a very fascinating life. but I wanted there to be a book that that actually looked into his work and and, and you know what he was all about and, and and what his influences were and what his interests were. Um, and also, a lot of the books tended to sort of stick to that, as it were, classic period, if you want to call it that, of the 1970s. And once they got to about 1980 and the Scary Monsters album, most of the biographers tended to sort of hit the accelerator a bit and rush through <laughs> the rest of his career uh, quite quite rapidly. And I, at the time, we're talking about the 1990s now, when I yes. was starting to work on the book, some of the work that Bowie was producing at that time um, albums like um, outside and earthling I thought were exceptionally good work and at the time they were sorely undervalued so I also wanted there to be a book that gave equal weight and consideration to, to that work as, as to the the more famous stuff from the 1970s so I rather arrogantly thought well if nobody else is Going to do it, then maybe I'll have a go. So I started uh, making notes and putting things together. It was a quite a slow process to start with because I was just doing it in my spare time, really. I'm, I'm an actor and a theatre director oh, mostly, okay. and yes. I was so I was sitting in dressing rooms on a theatre tour, scribbling ideas about David Bowie down on bits of paper. And it eventually got to the stage when I thought, no, maybe I'll put together a little sample chapter and send it off to some publishers. And to cut a long story short, um, someone was eventually. I found someone who was interested, and the first edition. Came out in 2000, 2000 and yeah, yeah, it's been heavily worked on and updated since then. And uh, here we are now, yeah, on the on the seventh edition.
1: So coming. Um from that first one to the one that you just brought out, I mean, did you have to rewrite any of the entries or add anything with the information? Because obviously, this is this is quite obviously very factual, so there there is a lot of detail, amazing amount of detail. Um, did you have to sort of add any more, or did you get it right the first time with that, and then just add bits as his career progressed from 2000? Oh
3: no, absolutely. I've gone back every time, but particularly on this on this new edition, I've gone back into the old stuff and heavily rewritten and added and augmented that as well, because, of course, new information and new insights come to light the entire time. Um, and much as I'd love to <laughs> say that I did get it all right the first time, you know, there's always new stuff to, to be discovered. So, yes, because of the nature of the book, it's, it, the structure of it is, is sort of encyclopedic and A to Z. So, yes. in any case... Updating it never involved, you know, just bolting another new chapter on the end. It had to go in alphabetically and in the right place. So I always had to sort of pull the whole book apart and stitch in the new stuff and put it back together again. So yeah, obviously there are two aspects to the, the new edition of it. One is that the book was until now five years out of date anyways. So yeah. All of the stuff to do with Bowie's sensational comeback three or four years ago, you know, with The Next Day, and then Backstar and everything else, of course, that's happened in the last five years. That was brand-new material. But in addition to that, yep, I went back and went right through all the other stuff and, and added new new bits and new discoveries that have been made. And, you know, tracks and things have, have turned up over the years. Uh, things like I, – I remember one example among very, very many – is that the last edition came out in 2011, and about, I forget, about a, a few weeks after that, the legendary Top of the Pops performance of the Gene Genie it. was suddenly discovered. It had been lost for decades. In a so, uh, On the one hand, of course, I as a fan, I was delighted about that <laughs> coming back, and it was wonderful. But on the other hand, I was thinking, oh... Couldn't that have, you know, happened just before the book came out? Because already my book was then out of date. So those sort of things, and many, many more besides have been added into the book,
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because I'm always discovering um, sort of especially extra records or B-sides, or not even B-sides, there was a song that he covered from a band called Zig Zig Spotneck, which I didn't realise he'd done. And Oh yes,
3: that, Love Missile F-111. Yeah,
1: and I thought, oh, yeah, and that, only, that didn't appear in any other source apart from, I think, one day I was randomly looking at YouTube clips, and it was like, oh, I didn't realise done that so do you have those experiences as well you know that you suddenly think oh I, okay i need to go and sort that out again
3: yeah well i mean as a big fan i'm i'm you know keep do my best to keep my finger on the pulse and i mean i knew about that track at the time that came out as a b-side to one of the reality tracks in 2003 but i mean that's an interesting case in point uh when working on this new edition uh, I was fortunate to speak to uh, a smashing guy called Neil Whitmore, who was the guitarist in Zig Sputnik, also known as Neil X. Right. These days he plays a lot with Mark Armand, actually. He's been Mark Armand's sort of trusty sideman for many years. Yeah. A very nice man. And um, I, uh, I spoke to both him and, and also Mark, actually, among many other people on the new edition. And Neil gave me some lovely insights into that particular track and, and how delighted he was when Bowie, you know, covered that song. Because, of course, like so many other... Uh, rock artists who came after Bowie, everyone in Zig Zig Sputnik were, you know, worshipped at the altar of David Bowie. So they were utterly thrilled when uh, when yeah. Bowie covered their, their song. Yeah.
1: Well, it was, yes. It, well, it, well, it was quite an interesting one, I suppose, because, um, yeah, I suppose this is a bit of a, a point. But I, I just know that the thing with David Bowie was that his covers. Are just generally quite hit and miss, and he's done some. He did a terrible one of uh, a Beach Boys song, didn't he, as well? God only knows, which I think oh,
3: God only knows, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> I mean, how does one ever have you ever heard a cover version of God only knows that was in any way matched up to the Beach Boys original? I'm not sure that I have, and it's a song that's been covered so
1: many. Times. Yeah, so it, it was probably one of those songs that just shouldn't be. There should be some sort of law against covering <laughs> that song because it was so so bad. So with um with this particular book, do you bring it up to date with Lazarus as well?
3: Yes, that's right. I mean, uh, as I say, actually, in my afterword to the new edition, David Bowie always had a, an infuriating knack of ensuring that my book would be out of date before it even reached the shelves of each new edition. And, and in a way, I'm, you know, I'm actually rather delighted that he's managed to do it again, because, of course, the London transfer of Lazarus only opened a few weeks ago. Um, so when the date was set for the publication of this new edition of the book, obviously, you know, I, I I couldn't wait for that. Um, but uh, I spoke to a lot of people involved in in Lazarus, the you know the New York uh, original production that opened last year, and indeed I do give full coverage to uh, to Lazarus in the book. But of course. Bowie history is still unfolding as we speak because the show is now running to great success at the King's Cross Theatre in London, yeah. Yes. Great, have you seen it?
1: Well, I a couple of weeks ago I had a bit of a Bowie day in London. I went to Sotheby's to see the auction of his artwork that oh, he yeah. collected, so I did that in the morning. Then I bizarrely went to the V&A to see an exhibition called So You Want a Revolution, which was was great. And the people who created that um, also did David Bowie Is. Right, that's two, right. Two um, years ago.
3: And Victoria Brooks, yeah, yeah. So,
1: yeah, and um, the other guy, Geoffrey Marsh. That, yeah. um, so, they so they did both those two exhibitions. So, I saw that at midday. Then, at three o'clock, I went to see Lazarus, which I thought was amazing. And then, I went to um, south of London to see that play called From Ibiza to the Norfolk Broads. Oh, yes, indeed. Which has just been, um, yes, it's just touring and actually it's going to be in Norwich today which is written by adrian berry and stars a one-man show but um, it's oh, had
3: wonderful reviews i haven't seen it yet so i must I, I met adrian um actually um at uh, the uh little launch party we had for my book a few weeks ago in London, and he very kindly came along. I haven't been able to see the show yet, but I'm hoping to catch it on. Yeah, well, I
1: have to say, I thought I was going to, um, I thought having four major things in one day three connected to David Bowie was going to slightly do me in, but actually it was fine, and the play, the one-man play was absolutely amazing. It was so well done and so well acted that, you know, I'm actually going to go and see it again tonight at the um, Norwich Arts Centre. Oh,
3: wonderful. Well, I've heard nothing but good things about it. Yeah,
1: I mean, and, you know, he, you know, I interviewed both of them, the actor and the director Adrian and I mean he'd written it years ago and then brought it back and then David Bowie died and then thought oh well we can't do it and then decided to actually finish it and it, I thought it, it really was a really nice piece and it really does deal with it very well because yeah you know we're all a little bit worried it could be disastrous with Lazarus you know you know that David Bowie did it and that's that's one other thing, isn't it? But someone making it, doing a play connected to David Bowie could, could go terribly wrong at this stage of life, you know, after his death. So, um, yeah, it was, it's really, really worth seeing, and I think you'll be absolutely amazed by it. So, and I look
3: forward to seeing so it. So, have you
1: seen Lazarus as well?
3: I have indeed. I've been, I've been twice so far, and I'm <laughs> hoping to go again. Yeah.
1: Well, actually, I've, I've, I'm hoping to go before the end because I just thought it was absolutely m- mind blowing. Actually. So, talking, so just keeping with the Bowie, did you ever see David Bowie, or did he? ever get in touch with you about your publications um
3: we were in in contact yes um um i never actually met david bowie i was in the front row of many concerts but we we never sadly actually actually met but we did have a line of communication over the years as i was working on various editions of the book um david never actually contributed to it directly nor did i ever ask him to because I, i never thought that that would have been appropriate and i don't think for one minute that he would have thought it was appropriate either because he always preferred uh, even with something like the V&A exhibition, you know, he'd pre- yes. stand back from from these things and let other people put, bring their own interpretation of his work to him. He gave the V&A access to his amazing archive of costumes and memorabilia and notebooks and song sheets and goodness knows what. But then he stood back and let them create their own narrative around it. Um, he was always very, very kind and very supportive about my book, and I you know, would always be hugely grateful for that. Whenever a new edition came out, we would always send a package of copies over to his office in New York, and he would always write a kind little uh, dedication in one of them and, and send it back to me. So as you can imagine, those, those books are among my most treasured possessions now. So yeah, I'm delighted to say he was always, he was always very supportive and very kind about the book
1: fantastic because I must admit I mean being somebody who's who I suppose David Bowie was my first love as I was growing up I saw him on top of the pots when I was young I went bought my first single Space Oddity and then Changes One was the album and then I went to see him throughout the 80s and also the re- reality tour so your book has always been fantastic and I know that one of the curiosities is that he played in the Theatre Royal uh, Norwich didn't he in 2000, um, 1973 and he did two shows on the same night.
3: That's right well it was I think it was an afternoon matinee and an evening, wasn't it? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, that's right. Well, at that point, which was in the latter stages of the Ziggy Stardust tour, um, only a few weeks before the famous retirement gig, that you know, the, the Ziggy Stardust film that I'm sure everyone has seen, it was it was shortly before that, and they were cramming in the shows at that point. I mean, they were doing two shows a day in various theatres up and around the country, and uh, yeah, the the I mean, <laughs> the, the the manager that Bowie had at the time was. Uh, Certainly, no slouch about getting the uh, getting the, the money in. <laughs> little of which was seen by David Bowie, incidentally, at that point.
1: I would imagine, yes, of his uh, management and, and, and
3: contract uh, uh, later on. But anyway, yeah, they were they were playing two shows a day all over the place. They must have been exhausted. Uh, but yeah, that's right. They did. They played two shows on the same day in Norwich in '73. Yeah,
1: and and also. You know, because having to sort of, you know, being able to sort of go back to, you know, like you, you were saying, you did the 90s, you, you sort of looked at that more in the 80s, but going back to the stuff that he was doing in the 60s, was that particularly difficult to find out, to piece all those bits together, the different bands and the different little gigs that he he performed around the place?
3: Well, of course, the further back that you go, the thinner on the ground the information becomes, because the point before David Bowie became famous, you know, one has to sort of go back and piece together uh, what one can. But it's surprising how much information there is uh, and that has been sort of amassed over the years. In that respect, one of the people I'm very grateful to be for helping me out with the book, not just this time but on previous editions too, is a wonderful guy called Kevin can who you may have heard of. Oh, yes. Who uh, um, has written a, a couple of books about David Bowie himself, including a wonderful one called Any Day Now, which talks particularly about Bowie's early years. Kevin's a great expert on on Bowie's early years, and he has amassed an amazing archive of press cuttings and ticket stubs and you name it to, to piece together those things. So there will always be question marks hanging over, you know, concert dates from 1964 you know we'll never get all of them down but we've done our very best people like me and Kevin over the years to nail down as many as we can and it's a fascinating body of work a lot of people understandably you know for the for the casual Bowie fan anything earlier than about space oddity is probably of limited interest but for those of us who are uh, sufficiently far gone there's so much interest <laughs> in the 1960s and I really love I, I am I'm an absolute card-carrying fan of david bowie's first album the, the eponymous david bowie which came out in 1967 right um which a lot of people regard as slightly embarrassing juvenilia i think it's the beautiful album in its own uh, right of course it's not ziggy stardust but uh, you know nor, nor should it be um and I, I think it's a lovely piece of work so yeah i'm a big fan of the 60s stuff and yes. it's fascinating to watch his development as an artist you know before he became famous or successful, he was trying out a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of everything. He went through a mod phase and a a sort of... uh, folky phase and R&B and, you know, and um, as I'm sure you know he was trying out mime and all yes. sorts of things and all of these things, nothing went to waste to begin with it was very fragmentary and he was just trying out this and that and eventually it did all coalesce into, uh, well, among other things into Ziggy Stardust, which of course was a combination of all sorts of things, of 50s rock and roll and mime and a bit of mod and a bit of glam um, so, you know, nothing ever went to waste with David Bowie he, everything he touched or tried out became another colour of paint on his palette that he could use in the, in the final picture.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, actually, because um, yes, I've always, I suppose once I sort of had committed and bought, in, you know thought, yes, me and David, this is going to be it for the rest of my life anyway, and, and sort of found it fascinating, sort of the journey through the, you know, as you said earlier, the 80s and the 90s, because I sort of stuck with him all the way through, and you know and obviously we're all really happy with heathen and reality, but I found that whole other period, and his response and, and some of the interviews do in those years which obviously when you look at you know there there are some good tracks on all those albums but i think he was often just experimenting or having a go and thinking well okay at the end it probably didn't quite work but he still went through that process as an um a creative artist and
3: that's right that's right and i think one of the keys to understanding david bowie is that is that creative fearlessness that he had he was actually of course nobody wants their work to be slagged off by the critics it would be lovely for everyone to love everything wouldn't it yes but david bowie was not ever content with sitting back on you know becoming a sort of established greatest hits artist he was always interested in in leaving behind what he'd just done and trying out something new. He used to quote a a line which I think originally came from Brian Eno, uh, um, which is a wonderful way of looking at it, which is that if you're an artist in art, you can crash your plane and walk away from the wreckage an infinite number of times. And David Bowie, that's exactly what he did. He crashed that metaphorical plane and left behind him strange, twisted works of genius and then just moved on to the next thing. And he also once said that uh, the worst thing for him would be a sort of polite reception to his work. He, he actually preferred to either get a really good or a really bad reaction. Yes. Then he knew he'd done something that either people really went for or, or really got up people's noses. And even the stuff that got up people's noses, some people liked it, um, people like me liked it. You know. yes. And of course with that amount of work you can't love every single thing he ever did. And of course he had, you know, a few sort of less impressive patches than others. But even in those years, you know, in the 1980s, which a lot of people think of as being his slightly ropey decade there's some fantastic stuff along the way i mean absolute beginners that song is is one of his all-time classics, I think, and that's bang in the middle of the
1: 1980s. Absolutely, and actually that's beautifully done again in Lazarus with the uh, the cast who were in that performance. Isn't it
3: just? Absolutely beautiful. It's one of the highlights of that show, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So just, um, I remember sort of after he died, there was quite a few articles in the local papers in this region, and there was a sort of mention that he had played in Framlingham, Suffolk. Do you sort of pick up some of those other little dates that he played in?
3: Yes. Oh, gosh, now you've put me on the spot. (laughs) You see, I wrote all this down in the book so I didn't have to remember it anymore yes <laughs> <laughs> did indeed he, in his early days he played because of course he was based in London and in the southeast um, uh, during his early days and so when he was gigging with his very early bands it would be quite normal for him to you know he got a lot of gigs around the home counties and up into East Anglia and so on so yes he did indeed play various places in Suffolk and Norfolk over the years um, but yeah you, um, and I, I have got them all logged in my book but you have to say you put me on the spot <laughs> here I'd have to go yes. through and find them all
1: well I, I suppose I just find you know I find the whole you know I think your book is absolutely fantastic I think it's just one of those you have to you do have to have because it's just essential and it's just such a fascinating read because you've got so much detail about every piece and about all the guitarists and uh, you know the musicians and and I just think it's it's genius actually you must be just really pleased with it
3: well that's extremely <laughs> kind of you David thank you very much <laughs> Well, yeah, it's 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 a real labour of love, and I don't think uh, it becomes anyone to ever be completely satisfied with their work. But I've certainly put an awful lot of uh, uh, blood, sweat, and tears, and love into it, and particularly this new edition, because I mean, as you can imagine, for me, writing this new edition this year has, for obvious reasons, been quite an emotional experience as well. But it's been a tremendous privilege too, and I spent many months of this year working on it, and uh, yeah, you know, I, in the hope that I've. Been able to do a bit of justice to uh, to David and and this extraordinary body of work that he that he produced for us all. Well,
1: you know, I think you've done an amazing job. But f- Nicholas, thank you ever so much um, for for giving me the time. And um, I'll tell you or your PR person um, when the interview is going to go out. But I really appreciate it. And I like I said, I didn't realise that mine was quite such an old copy, 2000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, there you are. You'll have to update then. I
1: am definitely going to have to update. Well, it's one of those things. You always think, well, I'll just wait until something else happens. And now I yeah. think it probably is quite. You know, it probably is a good time now. To, I guess, yeah, yeah. So, um, but then I expect in five years' time there'll be a whole load of other. Well, bits this and is pieces. it. I
3: mean, you know, uh, <laughs> Elvis Presley and you know people are still releasing records, aren't they? Well, I'm not sure about that exactly. But you know, there will certainly be uh, there will certainly be new discoveries in the future, and vaults will creak open, and yes. unexpected discoveries will be made. That's in the nature of it. So well,
1: I, I sort of uh, um, earlier this year, after obviously this terrible news, I sort of managed to interview both. um uh, Mick Garson and also Earl Slick and I was talking to Mick Garson and he said you know probably there's going to be an awful lot of archive stuff that will come out of different places and street, yeah. you know outtakes and stuff like that which obviously will be quite fascinating as well for for Absolutely. people yeah. so so I would imagine you know probably over the next five years things will sort of come out and and you know I couldn't believe as you said earlier that little clip, that amazing clip from the Top of the Pops performance was just uh, incredible and, and I know Woody Wood Mansi was just like oh my god I haven't seen that since, you know I've never seen that bit so it was just extraordinary for him to watch it you know.
3: Incredible isn't it and it gives us heart to think that if something like that can turn up after it was I don't know nearly four decades of missing presumed loss then anything could happen and anything could turn up you know there's another TV performance of Starman um, on a show called Lift Off which is an ITV show Right. actually a few weeks before the famous Top of the Pops performance. And, you know, it is supposedly lost, but who knows? If the Gene Genie can turn up, then token so can that. It'll
1: yeah. probably turn up in, I don't know. Yeah. I sh- or sh-
3: indeed the Top of the Pops performance of Space Oddity, which is also long lost from 1969, and um, various other ones, uh, early early TV performances. They could still turn up. They're still finding old episodes of Dad's Army and yes. Doctor Who and goodness knows what, aren't they? So
1: these things can happen. I expect somebody in Australia has got a cupboard that they've just got to unload one day and find something like that. let hope so. Let's yeah, hope so. Well, look, thank you ever so much. And I'm definitely going to look forward to reading a new copy over Christmas. Thank you, David. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. And that was me in conversation with the author, Nicholas Pegg, and the book, The Complete David Bowie Revised and Updated Edition, came out 2016. Buy it, it will change your life. That came out on... Titan Books, indeed. And uh, the reviews on Amazon are all, well, five star. I'm not surprised. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can. Um, I know that sounds a little bit uh, needy, but don't worry. Um, I can cope. As long as you can. Uh, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just go to C86Show. And uh, as I often say, so I'll repeat myself, but that's um, what age does to one. Um, just keep it positive and creative. Otherwise, don't bother. And also, all these shows have been podcasts, so you can find them on Spotify, iTunes, then Podbean and Mixcloud Anyway, I'll leave you with another track. This is from the album Diamond Dogs. This is We Are the Dead. Um.
2: Tell me, son, we want you, be elusive, but don't walk far, for we're breaking in the new boys, deceive your next of kin, for you're dancing where the dogs decay, defecating ecstasy, you're just an ally of the legion, no or for the virgin king, but I love you in your and your nimble dress trims. Oh, dress yourself, my urchin one. For I hear them on the rails. Because of all we've seen, because of all we've said, we are. All... Sons of our love, that someone will care, someone will care. But now, where today's scrambled creatures, locked in tomorrow's double feature, heaven is on the pillow. Its silence competes with hell It's a 24-hour service Guaranteed to make you tell And the streets are full of press men Bent on getting hung and buried And the legendary curtains Are drawn round, baby bankrupt Who While you're sleeping It's the theater of financiers Count them 15 round the table White dressed to kill Oh, caress yourself, my juicy For my hands are all but withered Oh, dress yourself, my urchin one For I hear them on the stairs Because of all we've seen because of all you've said